Good morning, West Liberty. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to look at chapter 14, verses 43 through 63. And the story that comes after the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, that where Jesus is in the garden and trying to get his dad, his father, to find another way. And I want to look at this Easter story. In fact, I want to look at how God's forgiveness for us is so huge. It's complete. It's whole when we truly understand it. So if you would read with me, starting with verse 43 of Mark chapter 14, it says this. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going out once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garments behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another not made by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Almighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. You see, it's hard to imagine. That Jesus going to the cross to forgive our sins included the men and the people who are involved in this whole crucifixion story. The man who even scourged him, the one who put the crown of thorns upon his head, the people that lined the streets and spit upon him and, and yelled crucify him looking for this whole idea of a crucifixion and rejoicing in it. You see, Jesus went to the cross even for them. You see, forgiveness, every one of us needs it. Every one of us wants it, but giving it is not always easy. And you see, Easter brings out the hope that we have as Christians. 
especially when we get together to worship together and to be together as a family, that even during these times when we can't, we can still worship together. We can still remember the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus gave us, that those sins that he took to the cross for us. And we remember the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And we do that every time we gather on Sundays to partake of the communion, the bread and the cup, to remember his body and the blood that he shed for us. And I also want you to say and to tell you that we can do this even in our homes, by ourselves or with our families. Yeah, it may not be grape juice and crackers as we have done at times, crackers and orange juice or on vacation one time, Captain Crunch and Kool-Aid. But it's all in remembering what Jesus did for us. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. But you see, even in this whole idea of forgiveness, we are commanded to forgive. And during the weeks that led up to Easter, we know that the cross is central to this idea of forgiveness. Your forgiveness, my forgiveness, and everyone's forgiveness. And why is that? Well, we should forgive because Jesus forgave us. Even in the midst of all that happens in the world, when you hear about all these shootings or even kids dying and things that happen that people are arrested that we would never believe would be arrested for these things. It's hard sometimes for us to wrap our minds around Jesus died for them also, if they would accept that. I've heard stories and I've watched videos of people standing in courts uh, at a trial that somebody did something against their family that was heinous. That they would kill one of their family members and then maybe they were found guilty and the family would get to say their peace. And many would stand before the person and say, we forgive you or I forgive you with tears in their eyes and our hearts broken. But they can still forgive because they don't want to live with the weight of unforgiveness in their life. You see, forgiveness is a standard that is set high. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. And many people want to skip this whole process. But C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. You see, forgiveness can give us a peace like none other. But even for us, even when we do forgive, it doesn't mean everything's going to be the same. It doesn't mean that trust will be like it always was. It doesn't mean that the future, that all things will be like it used to be. Because things have changed. But what we have to do, we just have to be sure that we have truly forgiven. Because we know that God has forgiven us over and over again. You see, thankfully, God's forgiveness is complete. God's forgiveness is whole. We realize we all sin. We've talked about that in the past, and I'm not going to talk about that anymore today. Well, some, but not right here. That we understand we all sin. But in a lot of cases, we look at sin and we just kind of laugh it off. You see, we try to laugh it off. We try to think, and some people will say, well, that's an old-fashioned idea. That's an old-fashioned notion. It's definitely not aligned with the way the world thinks or a world standard today. So a lot of times we'll try to rationalize it. We just will say that that's how God made me. We make light of it. You know, I never stole anything, at least nothing big. 
I don't lie, at least not big lies. I'm not a glutton, I suppose. And there are many people in the world that just kind of go on and on, and they just kind of maybe even say, well, you know what, it's not my fault. And some people just ignore the sin. But you see, that doesn't work. We can fool ourselves for a while, but at some point the games quit working. And then we realize that we are staring into the face of those monsters, people call it. The monster of guilt and shame. And they are there because we know we sin. You see, you know you're a sinner and you know what matters a lot. You realize that there is a God. And if he is holy, our sin is a serious problem. This morning, I want to look at five people in this Easter story, in the crucifixion story, that deal with sin, guilt, and shame in different ways. The first one I want to look at is Judas. Now, we're not real sure what Judas was thinking. And some believe that Judas may have thought he was doing Jesus a favor by betraying him. Maybe Judas did truly believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the King of Kings. But he was impatient. That he couldn't wait for God and God's timing to do what Jesus came to do. So Judas may have believed that by, by betraying Jesus, by getting him arrested, would force Jesus to declare his kingdom and all that they looked forward to. But maybe. <clears throat> Even a truer point was that Judas was a self-centered person. And he saw an opportunity to betray Jesus and to make a few quick bucks. We don't know what made Judas do what he did. But what we do know is that he sinned. And the guilt and the shame he felt took over his being. He couldn't live with what he did to Jesus. He even tried to give the money back. But in the end, he couldn't live with himself. He couldn't face Jesus. He couldn't face his friends. So he ended it all. He took his own life. And a lot of people are like Judas. And thankfully, a lot of people don't kill themselves, but they just can't live with the guilt and the shame. But when we realize sin crushes us, and a lot of people will wallow in that sin, in that guilt and in that shame, until it sucks the life right out of them. You see, people try to handle it on their own. They believe and they start to believe that Jesus can't help them or won't help them. And they literally live their lives beating themselves up. And they live in this prison we call the past. You see, Judas couldn't deal with this sin. But we have to remember that God is a God of forgiveness. The second one I want you to look at is Caiaphas. Caiaphas is a high priest of Jerusalem. He's a powerful man. He's just beneath the Roman governor, which is the highest in all the area. And again, we're not real sure why he did what he did. Maybe he was mad that Jesus had said some hard, hard truths against the Jewish leaders, literally challenging their reputation as leaders of the people. Maybe he was mad that Jesus cleared the temple. Remember his temple? Getting rid of the money changers, his money, his changers. And Caiaphas may have convinced himself that he was doing the right thing. He was convinced that maybe Jesus was dangerous. Maybe he was a false prophet. But his heart was not good. You see, I'll bet Caiaphas convinced himself that he was doing his job. 
that he was protecting God's people and protecting God's people by exterminating a blasphemer. I think a lot of people are like Caiaphas. We're sinners, but we're artists at rationalizing our sins. We're experts at justifying why we do what we do. You see, it's just excuses. We'll stand and we'll excuse ourselves as to why we don't do what we're supposed to do. You see, a lot of times we sin and we just have a hard time admitting it. We sin, but then we go to God and what he hears from us is not brokenness, but it's those excuses that we try to give. Have you ever said this in a prayer? God, I'm sorry, but, yeah. You know what's gonna come after, God, I'm sorry, but, here comes all the excuses. Folks, there are no buts in genuine repentance. The third one I want you to look at and consider this morning is Pilate. Now, Pilate's a Roman governor. He's the most powerful person in Judea. Yes, he's battered. He's known as hard, he's known as mean. And again, we're not real sure what he was thinking. I don't think he wanted Jesus dead. He may have been a decent person and saw this whole trial thing, what was going on with Jesus as a, a mockery, we're, we're not sure. But it's not really like him, I don't think. He may have been concerned about his own job. After all, Rome was watching the job he was doing because they'd received a lot of complaints. And I think all Pilate wanted to do was he didn't want to start a big thing where people were going to look at him where the other bigger officials were going to come down on him. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. And you see, many are like Pilate today. We sin, we're experts at denial, and we can say, it wasn't my fault, so fast that it makes our head spin. So many people are spectators in the world today. When something comes along that's wrong and it's being committed, we just kind of stand back. And we kind of do what Pilate did. He, we try to wash our hands of this whole deal. And we don't want any part of it. And so we send it on to somebody else to take care of. But I don't think God is fooled. You see, we can hold up our washed hands, but God sees our heart. The fourth one I want you to see is Herod, the ruler of Galilee, Jesus' hometown. What a guy he was. I mean, this guy kicked out his wife just so he could steal his brother's wife. He had John the Baptist beheaded just because John challenged him. Now, we know Herod loved money. He loved power and he loved pleasure. Now, again, we don't know what he was really thinking. We don't know what Herod thought of Jesus. A rival? Probably not. Convicted by the holiness of Jesus? Maybe but I don't think Herod thought a lot about the holiness of Jesus just because he was so focused and his energy was put towards the money, power, and pleasure. And I'm sure he had his conscience set at off where he had no conscience. He didn't care what he did. He didn't care what other people thought. You see, so many times we fill our lives with so much busyness and noise, we don't hear what our conscience is trying to tell us. We don't hear what God truly wants from us. And I think a lot of people are experiencing some strange ideas, not strange ideas, but different thoughts during this quarantine because we do have a lot of downtime. We have a lot of alone time or just we're doing other things and we're not busy like we used to be. 
You see, I don't think people thought we could do without a lot of this stuff. I don't think a lot of people could, thought they could survive without NBA or baseball or hockey or racing or the busyness even our schools have with school and sports and being involved in everything. In fact, I heard people say that they can't wait to get back to normal. But I've also heard people say, I hope the new normal is not like the old normal. See, I hope we have this opportunity to decide and to know that we don't have to be so busy. We drive ourselves crazy in all the noise and all the busyness. You see, we sin a lot and we're pretty good at ignoring it. And we just think if we can keep busy, keep doing things, keep our hands and our feet and our minds busy, then we won't worry about what's going on in our hearts. The last one I want you to see is Peter. Now, we love Peter. We love laughing at Peter. You know, Peter the fisherman, the rock, Jesus' right hand. Peter even said this. He said, even if everyone else runs away, I won't. Even if everyone else denies you, I'll stand by your side. Have you ever been in Peter's shoes? Finding yourself doing wrong, even though you want to do right, and it bothers you to the core. I mean, you really want to do what God wants you to do, but you just seem to fail over and over again. And like I said, we like to laugh at Peter. All the things that he tried to do that he failed. You know, even the whole idea when he walked on water. We kind of use Peter as a bad example. Yeah, I looked at him, he walked on water. He denied, he didn't deny, but he took his eyes off Jesus. Then all of a sudden he's sinking and Jesus reaches down and lifts him up. And we say, if he only had taken his eyes off Jesus, then how many times do we take our eyes off Jesus? But we forget that Peter had faith to get out of the boat and at least try. And that's huge. You see, so many times we want holiness. We want purity. But so many times all we do is fall and sin. So my question is this. How did Peter handle this? How did Peter handle the idea that Jesus said that somebody will betray me? After the rooster crows three times. And Peter realized it was him when he denied knowing Jesus that third time. How do we handle this? Just think. With all these people. And all the parts that played out. If we could have changed one thing. What would it have been? If we could have changed one thing. That changed what Jesus came to do. What would it have been? Would we have taken away the pain? Would we have taken away the scourging? Would we have taken away the cross? That by changing one thing would change the end result. You see, it's not till we truly understand that in all of this, that all this that took place, and no matter what we wanted to do, the truth is we all needed Jesus to die. We needed all this to take place. Why? Because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would endure all these things. That God, his own father, could not take these away. But you see, the hard truth is we all needed Jesus to die so that we could experience the forgiveness of sin. You see, even 700 years before Jesus went through this, 
The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. And it's a different translation, but you can read it in whatever translation you want. But I like how it explains this. It says this. The prophet says, It was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it upon himself that God was punishing him for his our failures. But it was our sin that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him our sins. He took the punishment and made us whole. Through his bruises, we got healed. We all, like sheep who have wandered off and got lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't defend himself? Why he didn't say anything? Even when he was asked, are you not going to say anything to defend yourself? Have you ever wondered why? I truly believe it was because he understood he had a job to do. And now he had a job to finish. It says in verse 7, Isaiah 53, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. 700 years before this, like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. So remember, his sacrifice is our only hope. What he did for us, his sacrifice is the only way a sinner can be forgiven. Yes, you can wallow in our sins like Judas. You can try to punish yourself, but God says the wages of sin is death. Or you can try to justify your sins and rationalize your sins like Caiaphas. But understand, God is not a fool. You can even try to wash your hands of responsibility like Herod and blame someone else for your sins. But again, God is not a fool. You can try to fill your life with so much noise that you try to drown out that guilt and that shame. But understand, in some quiet moment, you'll look inside yourself and realize who and what you really are and that you really, truly need God. Remember when we talked about Peter and we asked how Peter handled all his failures of being the sinner, of actually denying Jesus three times? How did he handle that? He handled it this way. Even in all the things that he did and all the big failures that he had, he realized he was cleansed by an even bigger God. He was forgiven by a bigger God, broken but healed by the blood of Jesus. Let me close with these two things. Number one, we have to face our sin. No excuses, no blame, don't rationalize, just simply admit that we're sinners. And then secondly, face Jesus. He is God's forgiveness for our sins, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. Folks, take care. God bless. Until we meet again.